catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. Anything that is free is sure to generate more attention and possibly buzz. For anyone who is new to the technology space, especially if you decide to pursue software development, you would have heard people advise you to use free and open source software. It's usually the first set of tools that you're introduced to and the one that you try your hands on or, you know, you try adapting. So I'm sure you must have asked, what's the fuss about free and open source software? And yes, that's what I'm asking an open source software advocate in this episode. My guest is a technologist with over 10 years of experience in software development, global community engagement, and non-profit organizational management. She's the executive director of at a global non-profit technology company that helps communities quickly collect and share information that enables them raise voices, inform decisions, and influence change, Ushahidi. She also sits on the Creative Common Board of Directors and is a co-founder of Akira Chicks, a non-profit organization that nurtures generations of women who use technology to develop innovations and solutions for Africa. Well, I asked that she say her name so that you hear it firsthand from its owner. And that was how we started our chat. <laughs> My name is Angela Odur Lungati. Um, if that's too long, you can just say Angela Lungati. Okay. So let's start with okay. um, a definition or an explanation mm -hmm. briefly of what free mm -hmm. and open source software is for those who are totally new mm -hmm. to the discussion. Okay. I think there's a fairly general or universal um, uh, definition. If you were to Google and check out what different um, individuals or different companies or a publication say, but basically, at least from my understanding, it's any software that is licensed in a manner that makes it easy or enables anyone to make use of the software, copy it, um, and also change it, adapt it at no cost. So anything that's licensed in a way that enables anyone to use, copy, and modify it at no cost would qualify as free and open source software. <laughs> and now if we're looking at markers, once this, this, mm -hmm. this have been ticked off um, um, the list, mm -hmm. it would mean automatically mm -hmm. that this software is classified as free and open source will it just still be restricted to the one thing you just mentioned honestly i do think that would probably be that one thing and i think it all ties into the licensing because when you think about what the difference um, is uh, between proprietary or software that you pay for um, versus this one um, is that aspect of what are the limitations around being able to use it well, not even using it. Using it would apply across the board, but what are the limitations around being able to copy and modify it? And it, it being easy for you to be able to take, adapt it um, without any um, any qualms, for me, is, is what would term it as open source. We do have a couple of other licenses that have a bit of a mix where there are some elements that are proprietary that are owned and are probably copyrighted, which means you're not allowed to adapt it or uh, change it in any way, you have to use it the way the way it is, um, while also adding in some elements of what you can. But with free and open source software, it is you are able to modify it. It is actually within the licensing itself. When I see free mm -hmm. and open source software, I always see them used together, like most times. Is there a difference between free and open source software? 
No, that's actually a very interesting um, question. I think even for me when I thought about that question, I was like, hmm, typically we always combine and make those two things look like they're the same thing. But if you're to think about it critically, you could have proprietary software that is free, right? That you're, you're able to download and make use of without paying anything, but you're not able to modify it or change it um, in any way. Um, so in that way, I think you can actually create a distinction between free and between open source, even though open source does imply the element of freeness in it. Um, but I can see how you could probably separate um, those two things. It's just um, in, in our terminologies and how we speak about it, we've always tied in the idea of free and open source um, as the same thing. Okay, so open source automatically means it is free, but free doesn't mean it is open source. That is my opinion, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and if we're, if we're going to give examples to those who are still struggling to relate to the idea, what examples would you give as um, free and what example, examples would you give as open source software, free and open source software? Uh, you're putting me on the spot here, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you want us to start with Ushahidi? I could. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about it is because one of the big debates that has also been happening in the, um, in, in the open source space is the fact that something being open source shouldn't automatically um, mean free necessarily, because there are some costs associated. For example, in our case at Ushahidi, um, we do have an open source, our platform is open source, meaning anybody can download the code base, can adapt it um, according to our licensing. Um, but we have assigned a fee for our hosted service. And that is because we have to meet the costs of hosting the data that used to um, to download the, or rather to, the, the costs of hosting the data on our servers like being able to hold it, right? Um, in some cases as well, you know, we'll probably work with um, different uh, organizations where they come in and they work with us and we give them uh, our support and expertise. It could be that we we'll give them support on how to set up the, the tool itself or give them some guidance around how to modify the software or how to strategize around getting more people to share data. And that's something that comes with a certain cost to it. Oshahidi was the first one that came to mind, quite honestly. It's open source. Um, there might be some costs assigned to it, um, which are, you know, like the, the cost of hosting the data. There might be the cost of getting an engineer to come in and um, modify the code for you if you don't have the capacity to do it. So mm -hmm. some examples that I want to run by you would be, um, say, mm -hmm. um, a WhatsApp, um, maybe. How would you classify this? Does it fit into any of WhatsApp these? WhatsApp is not... No, it's it not open in. source. It is free, okay. but it's not open source. Okay, free but yes. not open source. Um, it's not open source. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of um, LibreOffice. LibreOffice, yes, I have heard of LibreOffice. Um, it's free and open source. LibreOffice is free and open source, so you don't pay a fee, and the, the source code is available um, for you. And maybe that's that's a thing to to think about as well, um, because um, open access to the source code is probably it actually comes it's it's in the definition itself open source 
um, meaning that the underlying software, the underlying code that um, really powers the tool that is being used is shared in a manner that makes it easy for anyone to jump in and adapt the design or change the design or improve it, um, improve the features. So that in itself is a key. So whenever you think about all of these things, you know, you can download a version of Microsoft Word and you don't have to pay for it, or maybe there's a, a gate to it. But would you be able to take the underlying code, the underlying programming interface and change it? And because it's licensed and owned by Microsoft, if you were to do that, then you are probably liable for infringing on their copyright. So in that way, it's not open source. The code is the access to the code is limited to the development team that owns it. And, and we've been using the word yeah. open source uh, and the source code mm -hmm. um, here. Um, so mm -hmm. source code would be source code is the the underlying lines of programming language that are used to give instructions on how a particular program or a software that you're using should work. Mm. And, right. So what is used to program it? That That is what the source code is. Mm. And people usually have rights to these lines of code so that before you can mm. use or replicate or copy, you know, you need to get their express permission. That's um, where the proprietary rights you, you know, talked about comes into play. Yes, exactly. And in most cases, you don't even get to ask for the permission. It's just a case of we own the code, it's closed and it's only available to us. But with open source software, here is what this, these are the lines of code that we use to build this feature or build this software. Have a look at it. You can borrow it and apply it to anything new that you're building. You can also jump in and make changes to it. So it's almost like there's an element of shared um, shared and communal ownership with open source hmm, because it's open to everyone mm, yeah I, I like the way you said you can borrow it i i like that word yeah you can borrow it and use mm -hmm. it to develop whatever you want to develop um um and then mm -hmm. adapt it to your own situation or the kind of problems you want to solve mm -hmm. using the code knowing that someone else has given you a head start yep. right with the lines of code they have yes, written and absolutely Mm. Is is open source software, you know, a good alternative to um, commercializing software? So that's the thing. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to give a blanket endorsement for either, and that is because for for myself, even as a, an open source software advocate, one of the things that I am very keen on is thinking about the appropriateness of the software that's being used for a particular situation. Right, And we have a breadth of open source tools, and we also have a breadth of proprietary tools mm -hmm. um, available um, in the market. And each of them will be meeting uh, a certain, a specific need. And for the time, it's dependent on the context in which you're using it. Right. For example, for a local nonprofit or community based organization, it might not be a good alternative for them to buy a software tool that will cost them half of their annual budget, right? If there's an, a, a cheaper alternative or an open source alternative, then in that case, yes, for sure, the open source software is definitely a good alternative. 
there might be a case where there's a specific um, function that you're looking for that you might not find in open source software that you will find in proprietary software. Um, and in that case, then that one is the appropriate one. And I also know that for some of these um, commercial tools, um, that some of them also recognize the capacity and the ability of the people using them. And sometimes they give what they call community licenses. Yeah, I think I, they, they, they have certain licenses that are given to organizations that can prove that they don't have the budget, but that they're able, that they align with some of their goals and are able to then give them the tool at a subsidized cost um, for them. I know groups like Slack um, do that. They have a nonprofit uh, license. Thinking about what's a good alternative is very context specific, both in the uh, from the perspective of what you need the tool to do for you, but also what your capacity is um, at that time. I will definitely advocate if you can find open source um, alternatives um, that would definitely be be useful. And I, I say that for a couple of reasons. Um, one, obviously, is the cost benefit, but two. Um, by making use of open source software, um, you're also um, encouraging collaboration. Um, you're improving the software means that you might not think because when you take it and make use of it for your own context, you're also able to provide feedback that can help to go and improve it. Right? It triggers it, it triggers some element of improvement um, on the tool um, and also just goes to validate why um, building tools like these ones could be very beneficial um, in the long run, even when you think about what our development goals um, are. Um, I think one of the things that I've discovered in my years of working in open source is how um, open source actually helps to develop local skills and increase job opportunities. Most of the time, you'll find people will come in and contribute to open source software, and it provides them with a very unique opportunity for them to learn new skills. Um, and it also helps to build their professional reputation. I think there was a survey that was once done in 2002. I'm not sure if they did another one recently. But what they found is that 30% of people who contribute um, to open source software um, do that to improve their job opportunities. Sometimes um, one of the questions that um, your the hiring manager will ask is, can you share links to certain open source projects that you've contributed to so that we can have a look and see? Um, there's a couple of others who've said that, or about 30% who said that they've been able to directly derive income from participating. Sometimes it could be that as a member of that open source community, you have proven to be um, a, a useful resource. You could either get hired, you could get contracted to work with another organization to adapt the code. Um, and there are others who actually use it to derive indirect income. And that could be perhaps from visibility of working into a project that then leads them uh, to get a job. So there's also some of those benefits that might not come out as very immediate ones, um, but is actually a thing. Because you just yeah. mentioned context is really important. So what was the context of situation in uh, building Ushahidi and making Ushahidi open source? Absolutely. So Ushahidi is a company that was born out of the post-election violence that broke out in Kenya back in in the aftermath of our general election in 2007, so in the, towards the end, early 2008. And the problem back then is after results were announced, um, 
havoc broke out across the whole country and many of us were stuck in our houses um, not knowing what was going on in different pockets um, of Kenya and so the founders of five founders at the time came together and decided to set up a platform that would make it easy for the ordinary people people who are being affected to send in text messages um, emails or tweets and then have that information aggregated and visualized um, on a map very quickly and fairly immediately so that we could get a better situational awareness of what's going on um, and i think that was probably one of the first times because i was back in 2008 it was just uh, on the onset of social media picking up and this whole idea of shifting the way information flows, creating this kind of bottom-up approach to information sharing, where information is coming directly from people affected and having that influence decision-making being something that's powerful. So I know that after that first instance, a lot of different um, organizations saw that and said, hmm, we want to try and do the same thing. And so there was a request from a couple of CSOs. Um, I can't remember whether it was a Russian first because I joined the team after, but this is history that the founders give us. And the immediate thought was, okay, we need to make it easy for people around the world to be able to replicate what we did. And so the first thought was, okay, let's open source this code. Let's not make it difficult for anyone out there who wants to be able to take this framework and adapt it so that they can use it for to solve a problem that they are having to go ahead and do that. And I think we attribute a lot of the success um, or scale of use of the platform um, in over 160 countries in the last, um, this is what, 14 years, um, deployed over 200,000 times we attribute that to the platform being open source because um, it lowered the barriers for people being able to make use of our technology tool um, uh, there was no cost assigned to it there was also a community of um, users around it that were also able to use whatever experience they had in their context to give visibility to improvements to make features to, i think one of the biggest ones is custom forms being able to customize a survey, that is something that actively came from a different group making use of it during their crisis. And that ending up being something that was useful for the masses um, across uh, across the platform. So yeah, that that's a summarized version <laughs> of a background into Shahidi and why open source has been at, at, at the core and at the heart of what we do. Mm, yeah, so I was speaking with a developer this morning ahead of this call, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. he, you know, he the the only the major concern or the only concern he raised was um, mm -hmm. people getting credit for what they do. Sometimes, um, you mm -hmm. know, the people who originally own the code, you know, don't get um, um, credits for it. Do you think this is, you know, is this supposed to be a concern? If you have the right license in place, um, not necessarily. And I also know that for okay, let, let me let me validate and say that it's it's a it's a concern for some people. And then let me also talk about how different open source communities work around that. Um, so one given that the source code is open, most of the time you sh if not all, you should be able to see who contributed to a particular feature? Who was the person who wrote this line of code? 
And I know that there's also a very proactive effort within those open source communities to um, attribute any significant, well, attribute any changes made and any improvements and give those to the groups of people who contribute because I'm in and I made an improvement and you shared an accolade as a result of that, it will, one, give me a very warm fuzzy feeling. It's something that I can carry and add to um, my CV or my, my portfolio that kind of shows this is what I did for this project. Um, so with open source projects, I'm, I'm less concerned about attribution than I would be with proprietary ones. I mean, I think, Within within the context of open source, because of how the licenses are designed, I wouldn't be concerned about that. But for anyone um, who's creating something that is proprietary, um, I remember we were there was a panel discussion we had um, a couple of um, weeks ago here in Kenya, and the biggest um, message or piece of advice that um, the audience was given was make sure that you talk to an intellectual property lawyer or that you understand what your intellectual property rights are and do that from the very get-go so that you're able to protect yourself and that you also have very clear parameters around what you own, what you allow to be reused and how you want it attributed back to you. The key thing is to just create some a legal framework around which to protect yourself. I think that's the biggest piece of advice I would give, especially to young and upcoming um, African developers who have such amazing ideas right now. Make sure that you have access to, or rather seek out some um, advice on intellectual property rights and laws within your countries and figure out how best to do that uh, for yourselves. Mm. Okay, okay, that's a good one. Now, do you think we need more people mm -hmm. jump in on the free and open source software train? Honestly, I, I, I really do, um, because in the long run, it, it is actually beneficial for us um, as Africans. One, like I mentioned before, there's a unique opportunity in terms of being able to develop local skills um, that could possibly open up the doors to job markets, not just locally, but internationally, um, creates opportunities for you to be able to build businesses on top of them. You might not make this, make money out of the software itself, but all the surrounding services around the software, um, the software that you build. And when we think about this software development goal, oh, sorry, not software, <laughs> sustainable development goal around um, uh, employment, free and open source software could actually be a huge key to that. I think there's also massive benefits um, in terms of collaboration and getting diversity of thought, um, getting to learn. And, and when I say learn, I don't mean copying and pasting, but seeing, provide, having access to spaces that allow you to understand and learn and see how things are applied somewhere else kind of also spurs some creativity for us to think about how we can then do it um, in a way that makes sense um, for us. I think the next thing as well is just giving, lowering those barriers of access to technology um, would be extremely beneficial for the African continent, especially with all this digitization going on. Well, I switched things up a bit with some random questions. Five apps on her phone she couldn't do without and two things she wished were invented. Listen very closely to what she says. We had some fun here. Five five apps on your phone you can't do without. Well, let's see. Instagram, I have a love-hate relationship, but it is on that list. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have WhatsApp, 
I also have a love-hate relationship with Slack. Mm. <laughs> uh, smells work. Yes, exactly. Then I have Audible, just because mm. I, I listen to audiobooks from time to time, like when I'm driving or if I'm, if I'm working out alone, I'll, I'll have an audiobook playing. Um, that is four, right? I've given you four, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Spotify for my music. Two yeah. things that I wish could be invented. That one also tends to be very dependent on what problem I'm facing at the time. Let me see. A time travel machine. <laughs> wow. Why? <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, there are times where you feel like, okay, I wish I could go back and do this. But then I'm also of the chain of thought that sometimes things happen for reasons that you're able to learn. So, no. And then you also need to live in the present without worrying about what's coming and just enjoy it. So that's fine. Ah, however, I would like an easier mode of transportation that doesn't require us to sit on planes or on trains for too long. So rapid transportation, like blink and you're, you're where you need to go. That would be, that would be amazing. That would be like telepathy, man. True. Oh, and, and then that, a telepathic machine where you can tell, what does this person think? What are they anticipating so they can meet your needs properly? Oh boy. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, cool. No worries. Thanks so much, Anthony. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.